Romans chapter 9, verses 6 through 9, these are God's words. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are uh, the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. Amen. No sense this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. Well, one of the things that is most difficult for believers is that often the history of the world, the history of the church, there have been uh, covenant children, children from families that were part of the visible church, and even children of converted parents who did not come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and who ended up perishing in their sins. And this is the great problem that Paul has opened this chapter dealing with, that the Apostle has opened this chapter dealing with, because it's not just that the Jews were his family according to the flesh. It was that the Jews were the Israelites that have been described in verse 4 with all of these covenant privileges and advantages to whom pertain the adoption, God calling them uh, his firstborn son corporately, uh, as we thought about from uh, Exodus 4, Hosea 11, Jeremiah 31, uh, other places. To them pertained the glory, the display of the glory of God, as was seen at the mountain, in the tabernacle, in the temple, uh, and uh, other times and ways. To them pertain the covenants, several of these progressively fuller administrations of the covenant of grace belonged very specifically to the Israelites. Uh, not just, there weren't just the, those administrations that were from Adam to Noah and from Noah to Abraham and in the time of Abraham and Isaac, but starting with Jacob, you have administrations of the covenant of grace, especially under Jacob and then under Moses and then uh, under David. Uh, to them belonged the giving of the law, the law that both revealed the character of God and looked forward to the plan of God to save uh, those forward-looking parts, uh, of course, being eliminated when that to which they looked forward, the Lord Jesus himself came. To them belonged the worship of God, to them belonged the promises. And so these are, as it were, covenant children the Jews at the time of Paul, who are perishing. And that has continued to happen even in this administration of the covenant of grace, where there are covenant children who have all of these privileges, have all of these advantages, and yet they perish. And so the question then is, is the word of God that we heard at the, in the last part of <laughs> Romans 8, is it solid, is it true, is it reliable, is it faithful? When covenant children don't come to saving faith, has the word of God failed? 
or to put it even more sharply for those of us who have or are covenant children. When God calls my child a saint, when he makes them a member of his church, and they don't believe, does that mean that the promise wasn't good? And right now, he, you know, if God, uh, if I have children who have not yet professed faith, and they haven't given evidence in their conduct and their response to the Lord himself of saving faith, are his promises about my children real? And are they good? The answer, of course, we have to say is yes. But how do we sort through that? That's the question that is being dealt with in this very important passage. And the very first thing he says then in verse 6 is, it is not that the word of God has failed. And uh, then immediately he says, we distinguish, uh, to use an old phrase from uh, scholastic reform, Puritan reform theology, where you ask a question and uh, it's not a yes or no answer. There are other variables. And so you start the answer by saying, we distinguish, and you have to explain your terms, and you have to explain the conditions under the terms. And so the word of God has not failed because you have to distinguish between who is Israel and who is Israel. It was very important here in verse 6 because there are people who are going to force an interpretation on on the idea or uh, the identity of who is Israel, especially when we get to the latter part of chapter 11. Uh, And if you try to tell them, no, you have to uh, pay attention to the context, you have to pay attention to the grammar, and when he says Israel here, he's talking about ethnic Israel, uh, although he is going to change from uh, Israel and Gentile to Jew and Greek, uh, in part in his language, but, but here Israel is referring to ethnic Israel, and here Israel is referring to elect Israel. They'll say, no, 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 no. The, in the same local context, the same word should be understood to refer to the same uh, people, to identify the same people uh, every time. You can't switch back between ethnic and elect. Well, that's the whole point of the second half of verse 6, isn't it? For they are not all Israel who are of Israel. And so he's saying immediately we have to distinguish between about whom we are talking uh, when we refer to Israel. In verse 6, it's quite obvious that when he says, for they are not all Israel, he means the Israel that is being saved. The Israel for whom he uh, prays that they would be saved is the second part, the ones who are of Israel. And that's ethnic slash covenantal Israel, whose administration of the covenant of grace is coming to a close, because their administrations of the covenant of grace were under a prophet and a priest during the Mosaic uh, administration, and the, really the fathers, um, you know, Jacob had a, a prophetic and priestly function as well, and then under a king, under the Davidic administration, but now the great prophet that Moses told us would obsolete him has come, the Lord Jesus, and the great high priest who has obsoleted the entire Levitical priesthood has come, and that is Jesus. And the great and forever king has taken his seat 
on the throne of heaven over all the, the heavens and all the earth and all the nations. And that is Jesus. And so the covenantal uh, Israel, uh, identification with, uh, with ethnic Israel has ceased. But ethnic Israel is still precious for all of the reasons that we heard in chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. They are, even though Jesus is the tree and Jesus is the root, they are still the natural branches that we're going to be hearing about, uh, the necessity of our praying and desiring that they be grafted in <clears throat> as those who receive life from death uh, by the time we get to the end of verse 11. And so it's important to distinguish what we mean when we say Israel, because he's using it in two different ways, and you have to know which way he is using it, and we too should be careful with which way we are using it. And so when we say children of God about our own children, we need to be careful. We need to distinguish that we do mean the children that are ethnically precious because of their they're being genetically descended from believers, and so there's a greater ethnic preciousness to them for that reason, and they are uh, covenantally precious and holy. God calls them saints. He calls to them as saints, and he calls them holy in places like 1 Corinthians 7. He has made them a part of his church. He's given them all of the privileges and advantages <coughs> that we saw in verse 4, the Promise continues to us that he is God to us and to our children. But we must not presume that they are elect, that they are saved. We hope in God that they are, but we don't act presumptuously. Maybe the word presume isn't the, the best word there, because some people use the word presume to talk about hope. We engage them, we live with our children, we lead them before God, we apply the means of grace to them as those who have confidence that God's word is true, God's word is reliable, the God who spoke those things is the one who gave those children to us, and that it is his intention to use those means to save them. But it's his intention to use those means to save them. So we don't treat the means as unnecessary or irrelevant. And we don't treat salvation as something that doesn't need to actually happen in your lives. We address you about your sin. We address you about your danger. We hold Christ before you in the gospel, day by day in the family worship, and week by week in, in the church assembly, because these are the things that God uses. These are the means that God uses to save you, because God must save you. He must give you hatred for your sin. He must give you a new heart <coughs> that hates that sin and that sees who Jesus is, not just agrees intellectually, but sees him as your creator who came to be your redeemer and who is righteous in your place and whose, whose sacrifice on the cross has paid for your sin. And as his spirit uses those things to give you that life and that faith and you're united to Jesus Christ, you become not just a child according to the flesh, not just a seed that is descended, but you become a child according to faith. You become a child who believes in the same promise 
to use the language of our passage here, you become a child of God. I mean, listen to the different children of statements or seed of. Seed here means offspring of. And he says, nor are they all children. And here he means children of God, as we're going to see in verse 8. Nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. Which sounds like nonsense until you distinguish, until you understand the way he's using the word children there as children of God, children who believe the same promise, children of faith. And so you say, you know, there are those who are fathered by Abraham who are not, who do not have Abraham as father. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, fathered genetically, but not as father in the faith. Okay. And so he says in verse 7, Nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham, but in Isaac your seed shall be called. Now he's not saying Isaac is therefore a child of Abraham by faith. You know, when he quotes here from Genesis 21, verse 12, <coughs> he's not saying uh, that because God said this about Isaac, Isaac was saved. No, he's saying even Isaac was not a child of faith, except by belief in the promise of the seed that was to come. So when he says, in Isaac your seed your seed shall be called, he's talking about Christ. So if, if Isaac is to be a child of Abraham that is saved, he has to believe in the seed that comes through him, just like Abraham had to be saved by faith in the, in the seed that was coming through him. Abraham wasn't saved by being Abraham. Abraham was saved by believing in Jesus. And Isaac, as the the child of promise, wasn't saved by being the child of promise. He was the one through whom Christ came by being the child of promise, but he was saved by believing in the Christ who was promised to come through him. So also Ishmael is not saved by having Abraham as father, and he is not damned. He's not condemned to hell by not being the child of promise through whom Christ came. Ishmael is saved by believing in the one who came through Isaac. And so you are not saved by being like children. And you are not saved by being in the church and having all of these advantages and hearing the promise. You are saved by believing in the one whom you heard promise. This is why it's going to be very important, God sparing you and bringing you to be parents and making you to rejoice that he is God to you and to your children, that he calls your children holy, that they are members of the church, that they have all of these advantages that are in in verse 4. It's going to be very important that you not act presumptuously, but you see the need for the use of the means because your children and you need the God of the means to save through them. And so that you not be lazy in using the means and you not be presumptuous, but that you actually plead with your children to hate their sin and plead with God to give them the new hearts that hate sin, that, that apprehend Christ, that trust in Christ, so that we may all be children of God together in the same way, by believing in the Christ who came through the Son of Promise. <coughs> By believing in the Christ, who came through the Son of Promise. So he says, verse 8, that is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. 
but the children of the promise are counted as the seed or as the offspring. For this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So the promise was not that Isaac would be saved and Ishmael wouldn't. We're going to come to the purpose of God in uh, in election and it's going to be uh, dreadful for Esau when we come there next week. Uh, but the point of verse 9 was that Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Ishmael and any covenant child who was a Jew at the time of the writing of the book of Romans and any covenant child who is a Jewish or Gentile from a family that is are Jewish or Gentile believers in Jesus, members of his visible church now in our time, the only way any of us is ever saved is by believing in the promised son, by believing the one whom God promised would come through the baby that was born a year after Genesis 18, verse 10 and 14, which are quoted here in verse 9. And so the word of God is true and it is faithful. And that is why we employ it to plead with you to be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ, that you would know that he is the only way to be saved. And we believe that God, who has given us those promises and who has called you holy as part of his church, is the one who will give you faith in him. Then let's pray. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us not to be like those Jews who thought that they would be saved just by being Jews, and not to think that we are saved just by being Christians as a part of your church. But we pray that you would continue to give our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit to lay hold of the Lord Jesus and know that true election, true salvation uh, are ultimately and eternally in him alone. And so we pray, Lord, that you would make us to be those who uh, obey your instruction and employ those means that you have given through faith in you, in dependence upon you, and that you would come and save as you have promised to do. Forgive us, O God, for taking a long history of our unfaithfulness and our presumptuousness and our failure, and thereby treating you as if your word could possibly fail. And we pray that you would show us this mercy of saving in Jesus' name. Amen.